Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com. Tim Dunn is driving his white pickup truck. He's a third-generation farmer, and he's giving me a tour of the lettuce capital of the world. If I'm eating a salad in the winter in Colorado, you're saying, I'm probably getting that lettuce from Yuma. Over 90% of the lettuce comes from Yuma all winter. The bulk of the produce that you see in the stores or on a cruise ship or at a uh, restaurant, it comes from Yuma. Yuma, Arizona. We're very close to the border with Mexico. This is one of the driest places in the country. But all around me are crunchy, juicy fields of vegetables. You'll see iceberg lettuce, a romaine, uh, spring mix, which will be your red and green. Uh, you'll see cilantro, uh, you see uh, cabbage. So a little bit of anything you see on the shelves in a supermarket that has uh, leafy greens or vegetables like that, this, this comes from Yuma in the wintertime. Tim's family also grows grains, which get made into pastas or breads. The soil here is extra rich with nutrients. Over centuries, when the Colorado River flowed wild without dams, it washed this good soil downstream from the Grand Canyon, here to Yuma. We're in some of the richest fertile ground in, in the United States. At Dunn's family farm, he reaches down into a crunchy, bushy row of plants and picks off a softball-sized head of broccoli. We're out in a broccoli field, so you can actually... I get to eat this. I'm so excited. Delicious. Yep, all we need is blue cheese. I do love blue cheese. (laughs) Do you grow blue cheese around here? (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) These farms use Colorado River water. It runs so close by, Tim takes me to see it. It's right up here? Okay. We're going to go up here and get out and take a look at what's going on here. So the actual river itself is, is just right through town. The river used to swell so much sometimes that flooding would devastate this community. Today, of course, that's not the case. The river does not flood. And that's made Tim think about how to guarantee his family and farmers all over Arizona can stay in business for the long term. He's become the latest champion of a popular idea, to move water from part of the country that has much more of it. Think the Mississippi River and bring it here to the Southwest. From CPR News, this is Parched, a podcast about people who rely on the river that shape the West and have ideas to save it. I'm Michael Elizabeth Sackis. This show is about solutions, 
a lot of them involve ways we can use less water so we can survive in the age when water isn't abundant anymore. But it's so tantalizing to think about bringing more water in. So in this episode and the next one, we're going to see whether we could just get more water to this region. This comes up constantly when people talk about ways to save the Southwest. True story, in the very first taxi cab I took when I was reporting this podcast, I was in Las Vegas. I told the cabbie why I was there, and he immediately told me how he would fix the problem. Build a pipeline from the Mississippi River. Seriously, that would do it. And finally, new rule, before we spread democracy around the world, America has to figure out how to spread water around America. Bill Maher pleaded from his TV studio in California in 2021, when it was really dry there, that we need to take this idea seriously. His attention on it shows how much this has come into the cultural zeitgeist. For more on this, let's go to me with the weather. Okay, on this side of the country, it doesn't rain anymore, ever. And on this side of the country, they're drowning. Now here's sports. In Yuma, driving around field after field thick with bushy plants, I can see why Tim Dunn is looking around for more water. This food feeds the whole United States. You've got McDonald's or In-N-Out will have a direct contract with the shipper to to supply them year-round. So this is romaine. You can see here they'll be shredded and put in like a shredded romaine package that you see at the store. Smells like chopped lettuce. (laughs) Farmers here are not being forced to cut back in our current drought yet. But Yuma is near the end of a long line of places using Colorado River water. Tim has invested in efficiency on his farm and says farms all over this community have done the same. But he says that's not enough. We do need to look for new sources of water because the Colorado River is going dry. When you stand here and look at this broccoli field, what's at stake for you, the West in general? You know, like, what's on your mind when you focus on this issue of looking for more water? My eight-week-old grandbaby, you know, uh, my parents are still alive. Uh, I'm only one of many who their lives are built around this ecosystem, around this passion. Would the easiest thing be to sell this and and retire and go live off and and snow ski for the rest of our lives? And There'd be enough money that our grandkids could do that, but that's not the culture and the way of life we want. We want to be able to feed America. We want to be able to have a work ethic, and that's what we, we want to continue to do is to make sure that we can provide those services, provide our family a way of life, and be able to uh, continue doing what we're doing. It's some of the best technology in the, in the country. Tim has bills to pay, too, and he's terrified that if there's not enough water to grow food, he won't be able to make those payments. Fortunately for Tim Dunn, and anyone else who's even curious about the idea of bringing more water to this basin, he isn't some passionate person with a pipe dream stuck on the sidelines. Tim the farmer, who led as a kid in Future Farmers of America and served on Arizona's Farm Bureau, today... 
Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Serves at the Arizona State Capitol. He puts on a press shirt and a tie to represent Yuma as a Republican in the state legislature. And he's brought his big idea to the Capitol. He presented a bill two years ago. The Natural Resource, Energy, and Water Committee is called to order. Madam Chairman, members, this is the bill you've all been waiting for. His bill urged the federal government to study the possibility of pumping and piping floodwater from the Mississippi River across the U.S. to replenish the Colorado. It's a win-win because the Mississippi River this year got flooded considerably, pretty, pretty seriously. On that same time, the heat temperature in Phoenix set new records. Tim, or the Honorable Mr. Dunn, points out again and again that he's only talking about flood water. He says he doesn't want to take water that anybody out east really needs. He got inspired to write this bill because of his brother. Where is he living now? My brother is in Greenwood, Mississippi. Tim's brother, William Dunn, moved to Mississippi in the early 90s to farm with their cousin. Half our Dunn family is back there. Between my cousins and stuff, they probably farm, you know, 20,000 acres back there. So it's a lot. Was there any particular conversation on the phone, in person, the first time you saw his operation where you realized, like, wow, like, this is, this is different than what we grew up with? I think I remember when we first went out to visit the farm after he was just farming it and getting out there. It rained, like, eight inches in one day. So we, you know, it's like rain all night long. And we, you know, we only get three inches of rainfall in Yuma a year. The amount of water was incredible. And it's like that storm is just, is just amazing that they get that much rain in one, one setting. It was crazy. Water backs up onto the farms. So they get flooded because the water can't get off. And some, some years he'll have no damage, but at least one out of every third year, he'll have, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of damage. This idea is captivating, but could it actually happen? Could this be a real solution right now? We'll find out what's happened to Tim's proposal after a break. Hi, I'm Rebecca Romberg. I help make this podcast and lots of other shows at Colorado Public Radio. If you're enjoying Parched and you're thinking about what to listen to next, we've got some suggestions. Terra Firma explores the great outdoors. Robin's song is the sound my great-grandmothers and their great-grandmothers knew. Ghost Train looks at how to make public transportation work better. If we really want a better city, a better world, we have to change. My Story So Far is a podcast where people share their personal stories live and on stage. I don't want to bash my father's cooking, but there was no enchiladas, there was no rice, not even any beans. Like, come on. Find these shows in your favorite podcast app or visit CPR.org slash podcasts. Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com. Plans like the one Tim Dunn wants to pursue 
to move water from one giant river basin to another got a lot of attention in the 1960s. The water problem has traditionally been considered a local or regional problem. But it is not local or regional. It is a continental problem, which requires a solution on a scale that is also continental. This is a promo video for the North American Water and Power Alliance. It imagines something even bigger, a North American network of water pipelines in the spirit of the U.S. highway system, where water could flow where it was needed. This was the brainchild of Ralph Parsons. He made millions in infrastructure and industrial development. Parsons came up with the water idea after a big drought and wildfire in his home state of California in the 1960s. He wanted his company to build the way to a better water future. Water for irrigation, power, recreational facilities, and other uses would flow for distribution to eastern Oregon, to Utah, to Nevada, California, Arizona, and northern Mexico. Congress initially seemed interested, actually. But a lot of the water would have come from Canada, which really complicated things. The enormous price tag turned people off, too. And the environmental movement grew up in the 70s and helped sink Ralph Parsons' vision. But the idea hardly went away. As recently as 2011, a prominent water manager from Las Vegas pitched a version of it, in vague language, to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Her name is Pat Mulroy. She's considered a legend for her leadership on the Colorado River when this current mega drought first hit more than 20 years ago. A decade later, the drought was still striking fear in anyone who seriously considered the region's water future. So she told the chamber that the country could solve two problems at once if the Mississippi River states and offices like hers in Las Vegas worked together. We've always said water is local. Not anymore. Locally, you can't survive. She was asked about it a short time after by local business people in Las Vegas. My friends in New Orleans say, please do it tomorrow. (laughs) Take it, take it now. The idea didn't take off then either, but it did get analyzed by the Federal Bureau of Reclamation. The year after Pat Mulroy's Chamber of Commerce speech in 2012, Reclamation released an exhaustive study of the Colorado River's supply and demand issues. They estimated it would take 30 years to build infrastructure to bring Mississippi River water to the Colorado Basin. And it would cost at least $14 billion. But technically, it is possible. Can we do this? Yes, absolutely. We have the technical knowledge to do it. Edie Zagona is a water resources engineer She leads a team at the University of Colorado that helps manage rivers, including the Colorado. And even though she's been here working out of my home state for decades, she cares a lot about what happens in Arizona. I grew up in Tucson. My extended family still lives there. We have a business there. I still consider Tucson my home, actually. I have to say that is really true. So Arizona's Interests are my interests, very much so. Tell us about the business that you have there in Tucson. 
Oh, our, our family has um, an Italian restaurant that was started in the 1930s by my grandfather who came from Sicily. The same restaurant is still in business. My brother runs it and uh, so I'm involved in the business and helping out as I can from afar. Is there anyone in this episode who won't make me hungry? Anyway, so yes, we could get water from the Mississippi over to the Colorado River Basin. But do we want to? The energy costs, not to mention the construction costs, would just be enormous. Edie advises we take the $14 billion prediction from a decade ago and more than double it to at least $30 billion. These are all estimates because we don't know exactly where it would go since this is still hypothetical. Even if you don't go over the Continental Divide, you're still going uphill all the way from the Mississippi to the front range of Colorado. You know, we're at a mile high, right? That's a a long ways. That's a lot, a lot of energy. Where would that energy come from? We don't know. Right now, we don't have that much extra energy lying around, and energy is pretty expensive. All of that means the water that comes from this project would likely be more expensive for consumers. Whether that's a farmer or another business or someone who lives in Tucson like Edie's family, would they each be able to pay the higher price for water that had to be shipped across the country? That would not be water that farmers could use. They would never be able to afford it. She speaks from experience. Edie was a young engineer working for the federal government when it designed and built the canal that brings Colorado River water to central Arizona. When that system started delivering water, farmers couldn't afford it. Tim Dunn says the idea this time is for cities to get more water and not take farmers' share of the Colorado. But there's no guarantee it would play out that way. Something else Edie has learned from her experience? There are the issues about how do you get the land to put this project on? Buying land from people who are eminent domain, you know, not very popular and very, very expensive and very time-consuming in terms of permitting and acquisition and all of that. Think about how heated the debates get in this country over where to build roads or power transmission lines or energy pipelines. A system from the Mississippi to the Southwest would have to run 1,400 miles or so. That's a lot of places to debate whether the impacts are worth it. The environmental considerations are huge. We cannot consider just bringing Mississippi water and pouring it into the Colorado River. It would completely destroy the ecology of the river. It would introduce uh, nutrient loads that could be very, very damaging. It would introduce species that we don't have and that we don't want to have. Would we have to, like, possibly build separate reservoirs that hold Mississippi River water that would then have to get treated before it got introduced? Like, we'd have to kind of build this whole storage system to keep this water separated. Yeah, very likely that would be needed. Plus, Edie says water in the Mississippi serves ecological functions there when it floods, even if it's annoying to humans. 
we called another environmental engineer for a view from the east side of the Mississippi River. Everyone knows that I am easily distracted by towboats because they have to make a very sharp turn that we have a perfect view of <laughs> uh, from, from the classrooms on the second floor in our campus. Roger Viadero has a literal view of the Mississippi from where he teaches at Western Illinois University. No matter how hard I try, even with the blinds kind of closed, I'm like, ooh, that's a 12, that's a 12 stack toe. Look at that. When he started to see proposals like Tim Dunn's in the news, Viadero got curious about the idea of moving the water that runs outside his window to the Colorado River states. The reaction that people in parts of the Midwest have to this idea of moving water is just as visceral as the reaction that people in the West have. But he wanted to go deeper, so he worked with PhD students to study the idea. They broke down precisely how many gallons of water flow down the Mississippi River and what kinds of pumps you'd need to push water west. They found some pretty bonkers stuff. Under one proposal, they calculated the pipe would have to be 88 feet wide. That is not realistic. Every potential approach causes you to hit a different obstacle. He's skeptical for all the reasons Edie talked us through, the economic, environmental, and legal issues. But even if you could get over all those hurdles, there is the reality that some years, there just won't be any flood water to move. We don't flood all the time. And we don't flood uniformly. Sometimes, they even have the opposite. Fortunately, we, we've moved out of drought stage. However, during September, October, what have you, yeah, the Mississippi River was in a drought condition. In fall 2022, as this idea to move water east to west gained a little momentum, the Mississippi River itself was in a drought. There wasn't enough water to move some of the shipping boats that Roger and the economy rely on. Edie says that in the past, there was a time when we could look at the history of the Mississippi River and reasonably predict what the flow would be. But with climate change, we aren't really certain of that anymore. We don't know what the floods will be. We don't know what the droughts will be. And so the reliability of getting the water out of the river is very difficult. That's the practical question. Then there's the philosophical one. Bringing in more water inevitably means more growth. At least, that's what it has meant in recent history in the West. It's what we've been doing by moving Colorado River water around. We've enabled growth. Tim Dunn says he's heard this concern from other legislators in Arizona. If we bring in more water, we'd be encouraging people to keep living a lifestyle where they believe water is more or less unlimited. Despite the challenges, Edie says it's worth studying the costs and benefits of bringing water over from the Mississippi, as well as the alternatives. Best to give people the facts, let them know, and allow the people on the Mississippi to have a voice in this as well. The study itself would take a few years, she says. Altogether, this solution would take 
decades to put into place. 30, 40 years, Edie estimates. She says, think about all the advancements we could make in that time. My guess is before 40 years from now, we'll be looking at water reuse. We'll be looking at desalinization, et cetera. And, you know, things that could make a big difference. Farming practices could be hugely changed and improved. The use of water in cities will continue to evolve. When I visited Tim Dunn on his farm, I asked him, what do people who think this might not be practical get wrong? We need to look at today, to what it's going to do for the next for the next 50 years from now. And I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be expensive. People think that there are crazy ideas, but it's not so crazy whenever you're looking at your water faucet being turned off. That's the thing. Our water situation is so dreadful right now that Tim's proposal has started to win over some people who think it's at least worthy of deep exploration. Deeper than the feds went a decade ago. One of them is Sharon Megdell. She's an economist who serves on boards that manage water in Arizona and study its future. She started to use her platform to bring more attention and more serious consideration to the idea of moving water across the country. What I heard some people in my state of Arizona say is, we're talking about taking floodwaters from these areas. Waters that are not wanted, waters that may do economic damage in that region, and then moving that water. And so that made me think, well, maybe it's not totally outlandish. Maybe there are some win-wins in this. Tim's colleagues in the State House have the same thought. They overwhelmingly supported his bill, asking the feds to study trekking water across the country. When it passed, how did you feel? Oh, it was it was great. I'm like, well, this is something that we're, we're moving forward, and we're gonna we're gonna try to make a difference for long term for Arizona. You know, we're standing on the on the shoulders of giants. Now I feel it's our time. It's my time to make sure I make a difference. When the resolution passed. There were headlines everywhere, right? We had emails and telephone calls and people wanting to, people, engineers wanting to, to, to apply for the job, they go design it. And, but mostly were just people wanting to jump on board and try to help it. That happened two years ago. Then the Arizona legislature put a billion dollars towards finding new sources of water for the state. It might include helping to build out this Mississippi River idea. But so far, the response from the feds, who are the ones who'd really have to back it to make it happen, has been crickets. So Tim Dunn plans to spend time this spring trying to get members of Congress and the U.S. Senate to push for the feds to do the study. So the big question is whether this is the moment for this big idea There are so many unknowns, and that's what's intriguing about Tim Dunn's pipeline or canal. If it was studied, at least we'd have real details to debate and could understand the real trade-offs it would take. Being able to move water around would make our supplies more flexible as a whole country. But it doesn't actually save us from the fact that there could be less water to move. All of our freshwater supplies are suffering with climate change. Next time on Parched, one of the other 
big ideas the Southwest is exploring comes from a much more reliable water source. It's taking ocean water and making it drinkable. This water that we're going to drink right now, two hours ago, it was in the Pacific Ocean. Okay, I'm going to try it. We go to the coast of California to see whether desalination is taking off and whether it could solve our problems in the Southwest. Hey, it's Michael. Thanks for listening to Parched. I have another show I know you'll love. Ghost Train is about an ambitious plan for commuter rail in Colorado, how it got sidetracked, and where Denver and other cities might go from here. It's a question facing cities across the country. Find Ghost Train wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com.